Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Down the block, Andrew Jones. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. It's got the ball. Jones. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. As you know, this week we're going back and having to listen to a few of our favourite interviews from 2020. And this one with Denham Kemp, obviously the man behind Bloke in a Bar was a really interesting one. Uh, this was happening during the COVID period, so there wasn't footy on or anything to talk about. It was a bit of a lull period. So what we did is we did a Q&A with you guys. So we had three or four questions sent into us, and we went through and answered each of these questions from memory. They went something along the lines of um, what would have happened if Greg Inglis played for New South Wales? How would that have affected uh, the Queensland dynasty of eight in a row that we saw? I believe there was another question about what changes we would make to the current rules, which is really interesting because a couple of weeks later, the new rules came in of six again, yeah? So we didn't know anything about these uh, new rules that were coming in at the time. So it's really interesting to, to listen back and to see how the season did unfold once new rules came in and now there's been more put in for 2021 so really interesting and I think the last question was about Jared Hayne is it the best individual performance we've ever seen so three or four really interesting questions there really enjoyed this chat with Denon uh, a really good bloke as you know He's got his Instagram page, Bloke in a Bar. He's got his podcast, Bloke in a Bar. He's been having a heap of guests on lately, so it's been really interesting to have a listen to those ones. It's a little bit cringy for me listening back to this interview. I was very early days in the podcasting game, and I think I've come a long way, thankfully, because I found this one really hard to listen to. Sorry about my monotone voice during the podcast. Anyway, let's kick it off. Kempi, welcome on, mate. How are we? I'm very good, thank you. I'm as good as can be, that's for sure. There's people doing a lot worse than me, but uh, definitely feeling the footy blues with no footy on, but uh, I'm sure we'll get through this. Yeah, I've been uh, spending my fair share of time on the old KO, slamming through some uh, 90s games in the last week or so. Oh, mate, I, I you know made a, a podcast yesterday basically seeing how I think the NRL, when they come out of this, really need to look at creating their own 
service like KO where they essentially control all the rights to their product and that way it will insulate us against the game and I think uh, KO is a good example of what they can essentially do especially just for rugby league I think um, I understand it will take money and all that kind of stuff but I think it's a great product great service and yeah, do enjoy myself some KO just to chuck on the phone or the screen. That's all, all that I use. I don't have Foxtel. Obviously, it's owned by Foxtel. KO is. But, um, yeah, I just use KO now. Yeah, there's plenty of lessons for the NRL to learn out of all this, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, like, it's interesting because it's easy to say that now because of everything that's happened. Also, so one of those things that, yeah, why not take a lesson from something that's so negative? So it's, I'm, I'm caught in the middle between... It's easy to turn around in hindsight and basically say, you know, the NRL should have done this and they should have done this and they should have done that. But this is a very different situation. It's not like a, let's say there was a, a, re- a recession. We'd easily get through a recession. We got money in the bank. It would, we got through 2008, totally fine, all that kind of stuff. Whereas this is a, something that's actually shutting the game down. I don't think anyone could have foreseen this in the rugby league world. So I think we'd be crazy to not take lessons from it. But I also think at the same time, the fact that we can get through this next three to six months is a credit to the game uh, having the, because anyone that knows anything about business, if you've got money just sitting in the bank doing nothing, waiting for a rainy day, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because you're not reinvesting that money back into the game to grow. And the, and the rainy day may never come. So I think they've done a good job, to be honest. Yeah, it's always easier in hindsight, isn't it? Mate, uh, we've got four questions to get through today. Shall we dive into them? If Greg Inglis plays for New South Wales instead of Queensland, how do you think the dynasty would have unfolded? Would the Maroons have gone eight in a row? Now, in my opinion, I think Queensland would have dominated that period, but I don't think they would have gone eight in a row. What are your thoughts? Absolutely, definitely wouldn't have gone eight in a row. Without Greg Inglis, that that team's incredible, but people need to understand that Greg Inglis broke the game open so many times with a big run. Um, He was the difference a lot of the time, so... Yeah, I, I totally agree. If he plays for New South Wales, and you got to remember, it's not just it's not just Queensland losing Greg Inglis, it's actually New South Wales gaining Greg Inglis. So it's like a you know, let's say you lose a let's say you lose twenty percent of your strike power, you're actually also having to deal with twenty percent extra strike power from New South Wales. So it's kind of like a, a double whammy. So yeah, definitely wouldn't have had the um, dominance they had without Greg Inglis. He was absolutely huge all through that series. Or def- like I mean, absolutely. Um, Greg Inglis during that period, he played 19 games. He scored 10. Uh, sorry, he scored 15 tries for Queensland and had 10 try assists. Incredible, isn't it? Oh, I mean that's insane. You know, like 10 try assists over an eight. It was 10 try assists, 15, 15 tries, 10 try assists. Yeah, over 19 games. Incredible at the highest level. At the highest, highest level against other centres that are considered the greatest of all time, like a Gaznier or I mean, absolutely incredible. I, I think people just. We have such short memories, but Greg Inglis at his best was absolutely unstoppable. The, the the best outside back of all time, in my opinion, the best outside back, period. He was absolutely destructive and did things we've never seen before on a footy field when it comes to, you know, we've seen strong centers being able to bump people, but we've never been able, we've never seen a, a strong center that's also one of the fastest in the frigging game being able to bump people the same as a short, stocky, really powerful center. Um, he was absolutely incredible. I think the thing that would have had the greatest effect on this eight-year span is that, realistically, if he was playing for New South Wales, I think he would have found himself in the fullback jersey instead of being stuck on the left-hand side in a um, corridor playing centre. I mean, during that time, we had 
uh, Anthony Minicello when he came back from his injuries. We had Brett Stewart. You know, a lot of really quality guys at fullback, but never did we have the option of having someone like Greg Inglis in that spot. What sort of a change do you think he would have had if he was playing fullback for New South Wales during that period? That's interesting because, you know, would have he... It's just such a hard question because, obviously, if he excelled at fullback, you know, he did get a bit bigger at the end of his career, so I don't know how he would go with fitness. I mean, if we're talking prime Greg Inglis, he would have been absolutely incredible at fullback. And Jared Hayne comes in as well. And, you know, where does Jared Hayne play? He was... Jared Hayne was one of New South Wales' best when he played, so I, I just think that you knew, New South Wales with Greg Inglis is a totally different beast, and I think... Not even to Queensland, but absolutely they are not going eight in a row without Greg Inglis on their side, that's for sure. Because as much as now as you look back and they went eight series in a row, they were so dominant. Like, so many of those series, the game was in the balance and it came down to a moment. And quite often, Greg Inglis was one of the men that produced that moment to win the series or win the game. And if he was on the other side of the fence, it really could have been a completely different story, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As I said, like, you've got to put into perspective, not only do they lose Greg Inglis, they've got to defend against Greg Inglis. And also... Who, which centre for a Queensland you, that you're choosing to replace Greg Inglis? You know, it, it was it was Greg Inglis at centre, and then uh, you know, obviously Hodjo on one side, but the other side, like, it's a huge gap between your next best centre and Greg Inglis when it comes to defensive and attacking. So, mate, honestly, Greg Inglis stays in New South Wales. Um, it's a we're looking at a totally different scenario, totally different scenario when it comes to the dominance Queensland had. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's move on to our next question. Uh, this one's an interesting one. Does Payne Haas have the potential to be as good as Tao Malolo? In my opinion, I think he definitely does, and I personally think he could be better than him. I mean, we're looking at Payne Haas. He's only play, he's played under 30-odd first-grade games. If we look at what Tao Malolo was doing in his first 30 games, the potential on Haas is massive. I, I know my, my stocks are probably higher on him than the average person because it's so early in his career. How do you see Payne Haas going? Oh, I mean, he's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. I think I, I personally, like obviously, you know, it's not like I have a thing against a comparison, but I, I think it's hard to compare them. Like obviously we can compare them. Like it's it's fun to do, but they're very different positions and players. Like obviously Tamalolo could play front row, but um, I think Tamalolo and Haas, like they, they are quite different in the way they play. In saying that, I do think he has a potential to be better only because if you look at the start of Tamalolo's career, he actually kind of struggled for the first year or two. Um, people, you know, kind of forget that, but his discipline and everything, and he just he just didn't seem to be confident. He was coming out of school, he was a bit fresh. Whereas you look at Haas, like, not only his incredible abilities um, on the field that, are, you know, blow everyone's mind, it's his mental toughness and discipline that is truly shocking in the sense that a guy like that coming through grade usually has it so easy because they're so big. You just got to look at, like, a Dave Taylor, that mentally they don't build that kind of calloused mind of toughness and grit and going 80 minutes. Whereas Payne Haas, his mental fortitude is incredible. You know, he's making try-saving tackles in the 80th minute. 
And I think if there is a difference, um, and not to say, because Tamalolo has kind of learnt that. He's got that now. He definitely does that now. But if there would be a difference, it would be that Haas already has that at such a young age. Um, he definitely has a potential. The only thing is injuries, you know. Can he, can he stay injury-free? Um, the last thing, you know, you want is him to get a few injuries and all of a sudden he kind of loses a, a step or two. But he absolutely... There's no front rower, in my opinion, that has ever had a better start to their career. I don't think anyone comes even close. You've even got guys like Petro Sivinasiva already saying, like, this guy is like something else. So I totally agree. I think he's got the potential to not only be as good, but maybe even better, especially because at 18, 19 years old, he was already one of the best in his position in NRL. Whereas, like, you know, look at Tamalola. He, he did take a while to get to the point he is now. Now he's... In my opinion, he's one of the greatest forwards of all time already. Like, I think you should already put him in that category. And I don't think, on his day, I don't think there's any forward better than him currently. But, uh, yeah, Haas definitely does have the potential. Definitely has the potential. I think the thing that scares me the most about Payne Haas is that for his age and the amount of uh, first-grade games he's played, his match awareness is incredible. Like, Tao Malolo in his first two or three seasons was nowhere near that level. I remember him having Thurston just pulling him by the jersey, putting him into spots, putting him where he needed to be. Haas just seems to be able to slip into his position, his structures, where he needs to be. It's like he's been there for 10 years, isn't it? Yeah, and it's very different because, you know, Tamalolo was basically a gun that could be good, but he needed a bit of time. Whereas Haas essentially has the whole team on his back right now. Not, I'm not saying he's carrying the boys, not not at all. But what I am saying is is that without Payne Haas in that Bronco side, it is a fucking very, very different side. Whereas when, when Tamalolo first came in, it was a young guy trying to find his feet, whereas Haas is essentially their go-to guy already at 19, 18 years old. So I, I totally agree with you. He, he's, I really think, um, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, I'm not religious myself, but I do think there is something to be said about religious men having something to ground them and keep them focused. And it seems that that does give him a lot of direction and, and um, positive kind of mindset. Um, you know, you've just got to look at him fasting, the mental discipline to do that. I think that takes a lot of discipline to fast and also play. So I just think that he, he has all the things when it comes to off the field sorted. You know, he's uh, he seems like a very devout, sensible man, you know, doesn't go too crazy. And I, I definitely think that can help your footy. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be religion that keeps you disciplined. There's other guys like Cameron Smith who aren't very religious, but they're so disciplined off the field and they've got other things that keep them disciplined. I'm just saying if there is a big factor that keeps a player disciplined outside of footy, it could be your misses. It could be anything. It actually is, plays a huge role in the longevity and the way you play on the field. Uh, the thing that, Im- like, I've been impressed with him and bowled over with him over the last 18 months, but last night I um, I posted a thing on my Instagram comparing him to Glenn Lazarus, which, you know, these comparisons, they are unfair, but, you know, I, I just think I've got such high hopes for him. I, I think he's going to be the best front row we've ever seen, and I put up a thing comparing him to Lazarus, and he commented on it saying, appreciate the love, bro, but no way can I ever compare to Lazarus. He is the GOAT for real. And just sort of said to me, like, fuck, the kid is so humble. He's so grounded. Even to go out of his way to say that, like most blokes would look at it and ignore it and just let it go. It just spoke volumes of the sort of character he is to me. Oh, absolutely. And also just just to say that, like, just to be able to say that, you know, a lot of young kids, even if they thought it, they wouldn't like publicly say that. But it's kind of like he's so humble, he doesn't even want the comparison yet, which is, yeah, I totally agree. I think that although his physical attributes are incredible, it's actually his mental attributes that are, are what are going to take him into the same realm as some of the greatest uh, forwards of all time if he stays injury free i'm going to shoot one out of the cannon for you you're starting an nrl club tomorrow you're the coach and you get to sign one of those two forwards on a 10-year contract who do you go for 
Oh, man. Well, I, I just think you'd have to go with Taumalolo because he's proven over the last, what, five, six years that his bang for buck is incredible. Whereas, like, Haas, like, you know, he's had 30 games. And although if you just looked at individual games, you could be like, okay, maybe Haas. We just don't know, like, what's his longevity like? You know, what's his third and fourth season like? What's he looking like in his fifth season of NRL? Whereas, like, Tamalolo is in, like, what, his sixth, or sixth season of NRL? Yeah. And he's putting his breaking records in his sixth season of NRL. So I just think at this stage, um, if you it, – it's, it's actually unfair comparison because Haas hasn't had the opportunity to show – the same amount of footy as Tamalolo. So at this at this stage, I go Tamalolo because he's proven that, you know, whether it's his third year or his sixth year in the NRL, he's still breaking records. He's still doing incredible things. It's uh, safe money in the bank, isn't it? Oh, man, absolutely. He's proven it. Like, he's been... His 10-year contract was one of the most shrewd signing histories. And, and just like Hass's, you know, if Hass has another one or two good years, his six-year deal will be one of the most shrewd signings in the club's history. It's funny when you look back, like I was thinking about it last night, looking back on that 10-year deal when it first happened, and everyone just stood there and went, what the fuck are you doing, a 10-year contract? What What yeah. is that? It's an absolute bargain, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think also with a guy like that, you know, it's again, it's easy to say in hindsight, but with a guy like that, he would get to the point, like let's say he's not playing good footy, the club would just make his life hell, and he would just be, they'd just say, all right, pay us out a year, and I'm, I'll go, or whatever, like whatever they paid him out. So I don't think it's as... It, it, it was a, don't get me wrong, incredible signing, but I don't think it's as risky with a guy like Tamalolo as we first assume because people don't understand that it's actually quite easy for a club to move a player on, but just like, you know, put him in reserve grade, just basically say, look, you're free to look, look elsewhere. We'd really like you to move on because most players don't want to stay at a club they're getting told to leave at. It's a very weird and awkward situation if, you, if a club's sitting there going, we don't want you, we want you to leave, to actually just go, oh, no, I'm going to stay here for another six years. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It's a, it was a definitely a shrewd signing, that's for sure. Let's say in 20 years' time, when we're looking back, who will be considered the Cowboys' best player ever? Do you think that Taumalolo can overtake Thurston, possibly? Oh, man, that's a fucking tough call. It's a, it's almost like sacrilegious, you know, like Thurston, Cowboys, you know. Oh, man. If he wins another premiership, I think that he could genuinely be discussed as... The only the tough thing is, it's a reason why Thurston is considered so great. It's actually, you know, obviously his club footy was incredible it's i think it's more his origin feats that really push thurston into that next level of immortality if he is going to be immortal whereas like you know the sad thing for tamalolo he's he never gets to prove himself on an origin scale and it's it's usually our goats are usually you know they kind of put the nail in the coffin for them being goats in origin level you look at freddie you look at joey like all of their origin performances are like what we really look back on and go wow like that was the the incredible moment darren lockyer billy slater so I just think that it's going to be very hard for Tamalolo to be compared to the goats in that sense because he hasn't had to be, he hasn't had the opportunity. Could you imagine Tamalolo in Origin? You know how much big he would be already considered the goat pretty much if he was in Origin just barnstorming through teams. So yeah, it's very rare we find we consider someone the goat unless they've paid Origin. Oh fuck, it's a tough one, but you know he's got the credentials there to catch up to Thurston in my opinion. It's crazy to think you've got. At one club, the two best players the club's ever going to probably have, and they're both fucking initials of JT. It's got the lead! It's, yes! it's got the lead! And yes! it's there! Yes, it's there! He has kicked the field goal! Uh, our next question, and I love this one. This is just a plethora of options here. One rule change you would make to improve the game. I'll let you open on this one. Is there anything you'd change? Oh, man. I would 
it would be more just a, a way of thinking. But I, I, again, I haven't really. It's hard because it's so easy to say, but we don't have the. You know, the thing with that when NRL make changes, they usually practice it in like scrimmages, uh, at training, just to see how it goes. But I would honestly basically say all 50-50 calls go to the attacking side because we want we want to make this game exciting. So any time we're sitting there going, oh fuck, I don't know what you know. Like that was a was it a knock on? Was it a knock on? You just go to the attacking side. Um, I know that some people might go, well, that's really unfair on the defensive side, but it's unfair. It's it's not unfair because both teams get it when they've got the ball. Yeah, I, I just think that like it would really speed the game up. It would be much clearer in the sense of like you would know the refs' intentions as to why they made that call. Whereas like right now we're in this really grey area of like oh like it wasn't a strip, and then we have got the captain's challenge, which I don't really like because I feel like it slows the game down too much. The only other thing I would do is remove the video ref and have a coach's challenge or a captain's challenge for that. I do think the video ref really does hurt the game. Like, it's, it really is a buzzkill when a guy goes over and then we're sitting there waiting. You know, like we lose that excitement of basically living in the moment of the try. You know, back in the day when they scored a try and the ref gave it, boom, we're all up, we're in the moment. Whereas, like, we're waiting sometimes 30 seconds to a minute to, to, to live that and it's kind of like oh you've seen it 20 times you already know they're going to give it a try but so you lose that kind of excitement so there's, there's two kind of things I would look at again I, it's such a hard job man I, I take my hat off to the refs and the people making those choices because I, I do think that they don't get enough credit for the good things they do yeah, for sure. And I think the, the word that stood out to me when you were talking then was the word excitement. We should be trying to build the excitement in the game. Some of the options I was just thinking of today, like personally, I would tenfold prefer golden try over golden point. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I've been, yeah, that's a, I've been saying that for years, man. Like obviously not, you know, like I'm constantly saying it. But yeah, I mean, I don't understand why we decide a game by something that is not actually important to our game if we took field goals out of the game it wouldn't change the game one bit and not many people would miss it if anyone we wouldn't even notice it whereas if you take tries out of the game like that's the one thing that the game is about it's tries now people have talked about fatigue and everything like that i just think that all right well you just if it's a fatigue issue you just do drop off or something every five minutes a player drops off i don't know like every two minutes a player drops off or something i don't know but what i, I do think it should be golden try it would be so much more exciting seeing the players just like you know, having that balance between just throwing the ball around but also not wanting to have a knock-on. Who knows? Maybe it's extra time and it's only 10 players on the field, golden try. I don't know, but I do think golden try would be good. The other one that I would like to see change, and I understand why we brought it in, and I think at the time it had to be done, the seven-tackle set, I would like to see it change that because I think what it's doing now is it's taking away attacking footy when you're Agreed. in the red zone. So I would like to see if you put in a kick, say, from the 20-metre um, to the try line and it goes dead, it's it's just a 20-meter restart. It's not a seven-tackle set. I feel like we're punishing teams that are trying to create attacking footy, so they're cautious with their kicks, and instead of getting to last and actually taking the line on, they'll just get a hooker just to take the tackle in the corner. They'll umbrella their defense in the corner, and I think it just makes for boring footy. I don't know how you do it, because obviously the seven-tackle set was brought in because teams were just kicking the ball dead you know, to get a breather, get your defense set. And I, I don't know how you change it if it's from the 20 meter inwards, but I think something has to be done there. Do you agree? Oh, I totally agree. I think I, I think 20 meters is a good spot. And basically, I think like you can. The thing is, is like if you're on the line, so the 20 meter and you kick it dead, you've actually done yourself a disservice because you you lose ground. You've got to defend from the 30 and the 20. So. And I think uh, that's I, a punishment enough. Absolutely. Like, like I mean, if you if you you just go if you kick it dead, quick taps. Quick taps force the defense to get back online quickly, so they don't have time to to rest. Um, yeah, I don't I don't like the seven, seven tackle set because I feel like they're being way too punished 
for such a small error um, and also agreed it doesn't actually promote attacking it, it it promotes safety it promotes taking the ball to the ground if you have to inside that 20 um yeah i agree man I, I really think that they should get rid of that and just and again i think every decision i said it on my podcast yesterday every decision the, uh, in my opinion the nrl should go all right this year guys just so you know all the decisions we make are about making the game more exciting it's all about attacking footy we we care about like, you just say making the game more exciting and that way Everyone understands it then, you know, like they understand, okay, let's get rid of this seven tackle set because we want, the, you know, attacking footy to be more exciting. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah, 100%. And it's, you know, and I, I don't know how you do it once again, but I hate the fact when you see a team take a shot at field goal. And, you know, to be honest with you, before you said it, I've never even thought about taking the field goal out completely. But I think it's a fucking brilliant idea because at the moment you're taking a shot at field goal with a few minutes to go, games are tied, and the other team gets a seven-tackle set. Like, you have to really shit the bed to not win the game off a seven-tackle set, in my opinion. It is just such a huge advantage for such a small error. Something's got to change there for sure. Absolutely. You go for the field goal, they get a seven-tackle set, they just take fucking five hit-ups, Kick it into like kick it into a corner or, or or even just like fall on the ground in within the twenty meter mark or within the ten meter zone of their opponent and then they just shoot out of the fucking line keep their opposition in their thirty and then all of a sudden they got field position and it's game over whereas um yeah the field goal I've never been a fan of the field goal I just don't know like it's we never do them in the game so why are we deciding games with these it's just this tiny skill set that's never used but we decide games with them it's just bizarre to me but that's you know what it is it's it's because I didn't play footy growing up so like I'm kind of looking at it from a perspective of like it hasn't been a part of my culture like it's not something that's been a part of my game so I, I guess that's kind of why I see it that way whereas like I, I assume that people that have played it growing up it's like well it's just always been that way field goals are part of the game but for me personally it's like well it actually doesn't like I don't I've never really seen it that much other than, you know, at the end of games, deciding games. Yeah, look, I, I you know, I obviously grew up playing footy and, you know, like, I, I just don't think we need it in our game. I think there's too many negatives that come off it. And, you know, the NRL is opening up a can of words every time there's a field goal kicked. The referees are watching the man that's kicking it. They're watching the play the ball. They're watching the guys that are offside. And after the field goals kick, Fox Sport will play 25 replays of the defender's feet to see whether they were onside or whether they weren't. And, you know, we... Media then has backlash on the refs because they get to make a decision after watching 14 replays, whereas the refs have to make that split decision in one second. It's just you're just opening up for a shit fight that makes the game look bad, in my opinion. It's it's actually like it's actually not an intelligent, not actually a fair go. So, like for example, if I'm a defender, I can't just scream at him and try to block the ball. I've got to be cautious of like taking him out, hurting his legs, landing on his knees, like. There's so many things I've got to worry about as a defender, whereas all he has to worry about is trying to get that ball over. It's actually not a 50-50 challenge. It's it's a, it's more in the favour of the kicker because I've got to constantly be like, fuck, even if I do charge him down but I take his legs out, they've got a penalty and it's a fucking you know, conversion, game over. Yeah, I, I just, I've just i never been a fan of field guys. I don't think they add anything. Like, There's not a single person that says, I would rather the game won by a field goal over a try. Like, There's not a single person that watches rugby league that enjoys... Like, let's say, all right, you've got the option of Cherry Evans kicking a field goal from 30 or him making a break and, and scoring from 30. Yeah, which one's more exciting for you? I'm pretty sure it's the, the break, you know, scoring the try. Yeah, it's, and mate, like, I even look back to that 2015 grand final and, like, unbelievable, incredible moment. We'll never forget it. But I think in that situation when Ben Hunt made that mistake, like, Brisbane should get the opportunity to defend for their life. Queensland should have to break yeah. down their line, not wait until 
they're able to throw the ball back 30 metres and have a pot shot to win a premiership. I just, you know, I, I think that that game, if it went to extra time and it was next try wins, that would have just been an, an even more incredible moment, in my opinion. Well, you know, it, maybe I'm biased. I'm not sure if everyone has the same memory. But what's me, what's etched in my mind is the felt try. It's not the field goal. Oh, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't remember the big moment for me. That was like just, oh, paid by numbers. Like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, he dropped the ball. Yeah, of course he's going to you kick the field goal. It's Jonathan Thurston. Whereas what isn't paid by numbers is that try and everyone going, holy moly. Like, so I just think that's literally exhibit A of, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm confident most people remember that try over the, over the field goal when they think of the grand final. It's funny, isn't it? Like, everyone talks about Thurston's field goal. You're right. But, fuck, Michael Morgan came up with the best oh. play in rugby league history that night, as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's either him or Joey John Short to side ninety ninety seven. Yeah, in my it opinion. is. Uh, fuck. Uh, oh, unbel- At least Joey had the moment at dummy half to look up and see the line and maybe try and see an opportunity. Morgan just got the ball off nothing. He was practically standing still and ran fifty yeah. meters sideways and created like that. For for me, that's my best play ever in rugby league. That was incredible. He, he it was out of his bad hand too. Oh. He was to, like, so he was practicing it during the during the, the the week, and Matt Scott was like, "Mate, don't do things you don't normally do." And and Morgan was like, "Yeah, all right, sweet, I won't do it." Boom, gets to the final, out of his bad hand, flicks it, try time. Oh, fuck, unbelievable! Like, imagine if the extra time would have finished in a play like that instead of JT kicking a field goal. And, uh, here's a perfect example, and you know, not to give myself a fucking rap or whatever, but I think I know what you're going to say, and I, I was yeah, just but, about to say yeah, it myself. Here's... Off you go. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, but here's an example. Like this was against Parramatta Eels. Yep. It's a nothing game. Like it's a nothing game, and yet a lot of people consider it one of the greatest finishes to a game of all time. And it, it was a nothing game. It was just a normal season game. But why was it? It was because it was a try in the corner. Whereas there have been plenty of games on the siren that have been done by a field goal, but we don't remember them. We remember the tries. It's 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 that's what the game's about. Yeah, I I think tries is definitely the way to go. It's funny, mate. Like you could show me a hundred play the balls on tape that lead to field goals. I wouldn't know what any of they are. But in that Brisbane game, when that play the ball first goes and you see, look, you know from that moment what that play is, how it's going to unfold. And it's just, fuck, yeah, we, we, once again, without blowing smoke up your ass, that is a 10 times better finish to a game than a field goal, without a doubt. Oh, absolutely, and you can just hear in the commentator's voice like they don't they don't say that about field goal. They're not they're not all literally because they're a field goal. They're similar, like oh, like play by the numbers. Oh yeah, he's we know he's going to go for a field goal. He's he's set up twenty meters behind. He's about to go for a field goal. Whereas like a try like that, they don't know as it's happening. They're riding the play like holy shit, this is actually happening. You know, so yeah, I'm I'm with you, bro. Mate, when that play happened, was was there a call or was was it just instinct from Lockyer to see space and just trust you'd be there? Well, I put my hand up to, yeah. to put it in behind, but um, someone actually just sent it to me the other day. It's in his biography. He he just said he saw a little bit of space behind the winger, and he just did it. And so, what like, about the room just, service bounce? Came with a knife uh, and fork. The thing is, like obviously the bounce was really good. Um, and again, not to give myself a rap, but I actively thought like a lot of people in that situation, they usually wait for the bounce because yep. if. Most people, you don't just run full pelt onto a bounce. That's the da- most dangerous thing you can do, especially in that scenario, because it's not like the, the, the footy's coming from sideways. It's not coming directly to you where you can just run onto it. So my thought was basically when he kicked it, I thought I'm sprinting as fast as I can. I'm not slowing down one step. If I do, I know I'll get caught. And if I drop it, I fucking drop it, whatever. So it was just like everything happened perfectly. Perfect bounce right where I needed it to be. It was just, it was one of those moments where everything just clicked. 
So I'm extremely lucky, that's for sure. Mate, the last rule change I'd like to see made, which has been talked about heaps, is the interchange being dropped. Um, I'm sure as a um, as a winger, you'd agree. Like, I watch the modern game now, and I watch I watch the halves who they, you know, they, they work their way around the field, they kick to their corners, they tire down the opposing forward pack, then the forwards go off for a 20-minute breather, they sit around for 25 minutes, they come back on, and they're full of energy in the last 20 minutes when that should be the time for halves and your little wingers and your little X-factor players to really take advantage of the tired blokes on the field. What are your thoughts on the interchange drop? Oh, man, it's tough because, like, you know, you're basically out the big fella. Um, you know, it's it's... I think there is room in our game for the big fellas to be doing good stuff. I think it's it's still, if you complete your sets, you can still fatigue the big fellas in 10 minutes anyway. So, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't know. I'd have to have to really think about it. I think that the game is already brutal enough. People don't understand how brutal it is on their bodies. To reduce interchanges, you're just making it even more brutal. We've seen all the injuries and stuff. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the interchange is good. I think it's actually more team's faults if they haven't got a, a tired forward pack because if you grind a game down you, you can make a forward pack tired in 10 minutes because 10 minutes of work is a lot of work especially if you're keeping the ball in play you're completing your set yeah so oh, i'm not sure about the interchange drop one so in your opinion then is the interchange big enough or do you think they need more or do you think no, it's I, fine as it I is i think it's good yeah i think it's good i think it's good the way it is you know i, I think it's it's one or two less, or one less or one more. I don't. I just don't think we should change it dramatically. I, I think the boys are already struggling for fatigue. You know, it's that's a it's a huge decision for a decision that we could use other things to change uh, to make the game more fatigued. So, for example, when people lie down on cramps, boom, keep going. Like, don't even don't even think about stopping the game. Whereas at the moment, players are literally, oh, I've got a cramp, and the game is stopped for a cramp unless a player is like fucking knocked out um, or like writhing on the ground. I think you just keep going. Um, and that, little things like that, like captain's challenge, you know, running to scrums, all of this stuff slows the game down. Whereas if we took all that stuff out, you know, we wouldn't have to change the interchange. The blokes would be gassed anyway. So I think that there's actually other ways we can speed the game up to um, make sure that forwards are gassed. So let me ask you this. Right now, if you're a um, if you're a young bloke coming into the NRL or you're in the 20s or you're in the Harold Mats and all that at the moment and you're a forward, you're obviously looking at your blokes like Jake Trevojevic, you're looking at Tamala, you're looking at Payne Haas, who have these incredible motors. Do you not think that in 10 years' time or so, these kids coming through are going to be going, fuck, I've got to have the same motor as these guys? Like, in my opinion, forwards are only going to get fitter and fitter and we're going to start to see more and more of these 80-minute front rowers. As much as it's freakish, it's how the game is adapting. Do you think then we would have to bring it down or do you think it's it, it's safe where it is now? Now, forever. Well, I think that like I wouldn't look to Tamalolo or Haas if I was a young player. Um, you know, unless you are also genetically gifted like them. I would look at, at Jake Travojevic. You know, he, he's he is genetically gifted, but he's also just mentally tough as shit. I, I don't think. I think we have a tendency to believe that you know the ga- you know people and are just getting bigger, stronger, faster really quickly. But it's I think that's more a science thing. But I don't think it's going to be as dramatic over the next ten years as it was the last ten years. I, I think we're looking at outliers, which are has. There's not many 80-minute front rowers like that. Um, so, and if they are 80-minute front rowers, they're more, you know, like Clemmer sometimes plays like 70 minutes or whatever. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't try to make a rule with an exception. I would basically say, look, I'm, I think it's good where it's at. And I don't think we're going to see very many Tamalolos or Hasses over the next 10 to 20 years. We might see like two to three, but we're not going to see 
um, it to the point where it's really affecting the game over a whole. We're more, we'll more watch them come in and be like, holy shit, these guys are freaks kind of thing. Yeah, that's a fair shout. I'd sort of, you know, if I was a coach, I'd be leaning towards my forwards playing as much minutes as they possibly could nowadays. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it unfolds. Let's go oh, to yeah. our... I mean, if you, if you can, great. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying, oh, just say... Like, you, you need to, if you can be an 80-minute player, absolutely be an 80-minute player. Um, but what I am saying is, is, like, don't go making rule changes for the exceptions to the rules. You know, don't go, don't go considering uh, reducing interchange because Tamalolo and Haas are incredible genetic freaks. Um, and, and, you know, Travojevic, who is literally one of the best players in the game, um, is a gun. You know, like, I think we have to look rather at the mean rather than the exception or the outliers. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how long they are the exception for, though, but you're right, they might just be once-in-a-lifetime freaks we only see. Maybe we're just privileged at the moment to have as many guys as we do like that. You've got to look at, like, for example, Glenn Lazarus was essentially, you know... Yep, without a doubt. ...front rower. Yep. Um, and we haven't seen someone like him for a, quite a while. We've seen Simmer, like Webkey was, you know, up there. He played a lot of minutes. So I just think it, it'll be, it's, we, we aren't, as humans, evolving that quickly where it's just like all of a sudden these kids can just fucking play 80 minutes for for a little bit longer we'll still see genetic outliers um coming through it's like you know once in a generation we'll get a greg inglis we'll get a jared hayne and then we'll get a, a latrell mitchell but these these are the, the best of the best i uh, know they're not they're not something that we're going to see on average and it's just like hassan tamalolo these are the best of the fucking best some of the greatest of all time potentially whereas like most players aren't going to be that good Let's go and have a look at our last question. Who was the best player in their prime over the last 15 years? So we're looking 2004 to 2019. Fuck it, there's just a plethora of talent there, isn't there? The ones that sort of come to my mind, first of all, 09, Jared Hayne, obviously. Um, So we're talking about like prime, prime, like as in their best seasons or whatever? Best season, yeah, just their best period of time. Um, I'm, you know... Jared Hayne, 09, obviously comes to mind. I think of Andrew Johns, 2005 Origin Series. What guys come to your mind? Um, Lockie, 2006. Uh, yeah. Thurston, 2015. Hayne, 09. Barber, 2012. Tedesco, 2019. Um, Freddie Fittler, 2004. Yeah, his last year was 2004. I think I think he's one that, that's forgotten. His, his years when he was post-30, they were just on another fucking level, weren't they? Yeah, he came back out into Origin, didn't he? He won the series and like got the match winner or some shit. Played in 04, yep. Had an absolute yep. cracker that series. So you got Freddie Fittler, Greg Inglis, 2007? Yeah, I, I think another one that's very underrated was um, Toddy Carney in 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't he get close to winning Dalian or whatever? He, he did win it. He yeah, did he win it, mate. That was insane. Yeah, yeah he essentially yeah. won it in um, playing two positions too, which was just fucking incredible. He was something special that year. If you had to pick one, who are you going for? Hayne 09. I Hayne 09? That's, that's the best footy we've ever seen. You know, when it comes to out-and-out form, um, you know, Tedesco's, like when we're comparing just fullbacks, I feel like, you know, Tedesco's match winners in origin and the grand final, you know, that's just fucking incredible. Plus the year he had. Um, and then obviously 2006, Darren Lockyer. He won Origin. He won the internationals. He won the grand final. He won everything he could win, pretty much. He essentially won every trophy that was possibly presented to him that year, didn't he? Except for the Dallium. He never won a Dallium, which is bizarre. But isn't that just a fucking robbery that him and Freddie never got one? Oh, it's a joke. Like it's it just 
it just shows you that the system is a bit broken. I, I do think they need to overhaul that Dell M system. So, so you started your career in 2007. Were you like, were you obviously in the lower grades and around the club in 2006? Yeah, I was in the first grade squad. In the squad, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. What, I didn't what, play, but I was, yeah, I was in the squad. What was it uh, like being around Lockyer that year? Like, you're just on another level to everyone else. You know, what, what, what was the mate, feel? You know, it was weird because because it was only my second year of rugby league, so I didn't I didn't know what was going on. Like, like, it's hard to explain. Like, I didn't grow up watching footy. I didn't play any footy, so people might think like, "What are you talking about?" But I didn't even I didn't know the greatness that I was witnessing because I had no context to put it into like i just thought well, he's a gun like he's the fucking he's a gun um it wasn't until i spent more years in rugby league you got to remember like it's my second year of footy and so like going into that year i'd only played literally like maybe 25 rugby league games like of ga- of rugby league like maybe 30 let's say we'll say 30 we'll say 35 rugby league games in my whole life didn't watch it growing up except for like once you know or twice at my granddad's house so, you know, I was fully into soccer. I watched the Premier League. I went to England for it, everything. So I just didn't know what I was witnessing. I was just in this squad and and my whole energy was put into just like learning this game. Like I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who the goats were. I didn't know, you know, I just, I knew Steve Randolph was really good because my granddad used to love him. But other than that, I honestly couldn't tell you. Like I, I didn't know anything about it. I never realized you didn't have that much experience. Like I, I knew you hadn't played much league. I didn't realize it, it, it was to that extent. What what effect did Wayne Bennett have on you then in those few years? I imagine, fuck, it must have been a godsend for you to walk into a club coached by Wayne Bennett. Yeah, he was just really good at understanding what I needed, especially me and Darius. Like, he was really good at understanding that, like, you know, he, he can tell the whole other, you know, a lot of the other boys, like, I want you to fucking rip and tear and, like, you know, dominate the opposition there. But he understood that, like, me and Darius, we're not that kind of player. Like, so he, he sat us down once and he basically said, like, Look, I understand you aren't going to try to dominate and, and be aggressive and hurt the opposition, but I, I know you are both extremely passionate young men about you know being the best. I need you to use that passion to be the best this weekend. And when he said that, I was like, man, you fucking get me. Like, I'm, I'm not aggressive in the sense like trying to dominate someone, but I'm just as passionate, if not more passionate and competitive than nearly anyone. So, you know, he was speaking to me. So I was extremely lucky to walk into a squad with Wayne Bennett as a coach, that's for sure. Mate, did you ever have that moment at the Broncos where, you know, because you were getting used to the game, you were, you know, at training or in games or whatever, you were just caught so far out of position because you didn't know where you were and just think, fuck, I'm out of my depth here? Did, did you ever get to that point? No, I was, mate, I was so confident um, in my sporting ability. And because soccer is is a much hard position, much more hard positional game, actually, I, my positioning was actually really good because I'm a winger that has to drop back and, you know, get on the kind of seesaw. It was actually really easy for me because it's like a you're like a right back pretty much a right winger right back in in soccer where you you might be a defensive right wing and so essentially you can attack but you'll kind of sit a little bit behind the lot like you know in the right pocket and you can come across and fill in for the center center back when it comes to soccer so yeah positionally it wasn't an issue um, there was never a time where I was like oh shit this is too hard for me but there wasn't like my first training session I did like two tackles on the pads and had to stop because I, I had no shoulders like I'd never tackled before like. The week before I went to Clydesdale training, I had my old sprinting coach trying to teach me and my brother. Like my brother was like running the ball down a line, not even he didn't have a ball in his hand, and he was like showing me how to tackle, like where to put my head in that, because I didn't know how to tackle. So it was that I was it was, but there was never a time where I was not confident in that I would play in a role though. Mate, it's a crazy fucking story. Yeah, it's bizarre, bro. It's, it, when I look back on it now, I think you are fucking mental. Like you're going to the Clydesdales, the, the reserve grade for the biggest sporting franchise in the country, and it's a week before, and you're not even on a footy field. You're on a running track, 
with your brother who's studying to be a doctor and you're getting taught how to tackle. Um, Mate, when you yeah. said to me before we started recording that your brother's a doctor, I sat there and went, what the fuck is going on in this family? What, what, <laughs> one of you isn't related. What, what, what's doing there? He just, yeah, he's just fucking smart as shit. Like, he's actually the youngest medical director in the country, so the youngest person to run a hospital. Um, he He's just a gun. He was also in soccer too, though. Like, he went to England for soccer, got offered a contract with a club called Nottingham Forest, which is just below the Premier League, um, but decided wasn't for him, came back. Um, and you know, got high distinctions in business, and then parlayed that into a medical, into pre-med, and then into medicine, and then yeah, now he's a doctor, um, running a hospital. And then my sister's, she was like the chief editor of um, Who magazine, and then she was like the chief video content creator across like all those magazine magazines. So we're pretty fortunate in uh, our job positions, that's for sure. Something in the water at the camp house all day. Right, it must be like it's something. I know. I didn't get the water. Well, it must have been feeding them fucking special water or some shit. <laughs> Mate, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, for those that are listening, what's going on with uh, Bloke and a Bar Beer? Where can they uh, get you over the next few weeks during this chaotic time? Mate, uh, yeah, go to our Instagram and check the highlights for locations. Go to Facebook and check the highlights for locations. We're in Queensland, New South Wales and Canberra. Go to blokeandabar.com and check the locations. But I would get in quick because last time we sold out you know, really quick. Yeah, like any support, I would really appreciate it. It helps the it helps me create content for the footy community. That's basically where all the money goes. You know, it's obviously it's not like it's a huge beer company or whatever, but yeah, it's basically you know the more beer that gets sold, the more content I can can create. So if you are if you're partial to a beer, give it a try. If not, it's all good. I hope you're doing well. It's one hell of a drop, mate. Uh, all the best over the next few weeks. I'll uh, talk to you soon. Legend, bro. See ya. See you, brother. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.